My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. It becomes quite addictive and you, you, you see that, you, you know, you, you get one, you get another one and you, you, you keep multiplying. And um, the COVID time has been quite good for us. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Terry Loback, gifted investor with over 15 properties in his portfolio. We learned how he manages to juggle his own projects whilst working in the disability sector and as chair of the Queensland chapter of PICA. We also hear about the many lessons he has learned along the way which have made him successful in the property game. With 15 investment properties in his portfolio and looking to add more to that, Lowback juggles the demands of a regular 9 to 5 job and his other commitments. Also currently the chair of PICA which is the um the Property Investors Council of Australia, the Queensland chapter, but um, I also work in the disability sector where, where I uh, assist people in, in with injuries and long-term disabilities in getting back on their feet and helping them pl- find employment. A typical day for Lowback is a mixture of overseeing the progress of personal projects and also involves working in the disability sector which has been more intense this year. Basically what I do, if it's a Monday to Friday, um, I do have a, a nine to five and that is in the disability sector. So I assist, um, like I said, assist people who are long-term disabled, uh, getting them uh, back on their feet and finding work and employment. Um, it's been a trying time with COVID, but um, uh, you know we've been doing pretty well with that. Um, also, I'm an active investor. So, so I'm actively investing and um, as you'll hear with the story, um, I'm always on the lookout. I'm a martial artist too, so I do that every day and also go to the gym. So that's also been uh, a quite an important part of my life. Um, yeah, I, I make a point, me and my partner make a point to to go out at least once a week. Um, you know, we, we find that that's, that's very important. And, um, and yeah, we, we've just been blessed with how uh, property investing has changed our lives. Throughout his childhood, Lowback would move back and forth from the Philippines to Australia struggling to find where he fit in. Yeah, so I um, I grew up in the Philippines. I was born in the Philippines. My dad's Australian and my mum's from the Philippines. Um, and it's quite interesting actually. And um, so I grew up there, but at the age of two, uh, mum decided to migrate here to Sydney actually. Um, 
with dad, but dad was always working fly in, fly out. So he was always in the oil rigs and, um, you know, and, and the oil, oil, the oil rigs and, uh, you know, or mineral vessels. Um, so he was basically three months on, three months off. And um, after about a year of attempting to live here, mum, mum and myself, mum said, look, it's too difficult. We'll head back to the Philippines. And um, they had properties there and, uh, and dad agreed. And uh, he said, yeah, well, that's fine. I like the Philippines and, and that's okay. So we moved back to the Philippines. I stayed there until I was 10. Um, so I'm fluent in, in, in Filipino because of that. And, um, and uh, we, dad's plan was really to retire there. So they had built up um, uh, a little bit of a, a property portfolio there. Like they, they had a number of properties and also even a salt farm. Um, unfortunately, so dad had me fairly late in life. He was 49 when he had me. And um, he had, uh, oh, he had a, like a blocked artery there um, and he had uh, quite substantial medical issues that um, needed to be addressed in, in 1990. That on top of the recession um, really hit him quite hard and, and he had to sell a number of the assets that, and we moved to, to Australia. So it, it really, although uh, my life in the Philippines was quite good, I mean, it was, it was fantastic. You know, when we came here, it was, it was quite a different lifestyle and, and, and really that's when I, I saw my parents struggle. And, um, you know, I mean, dad did invest, but he, he wasn't really, uh, for him, it wasn't so much about, um, I don't know, he just had a different mindset really. And it was a different, uh, different thing as, as his was more so for, you know, to spend the money and, 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 and enjoy life for that time. He didn't really think much about the future. Um, and, and, and he never did. And, and, um, you know, he had his reasons to do that. But, um, but yeah, it, it was quite difficult moving back, uh, well, yeah, moving back to Australia, although I was, I was three when I left. So it was, it was difficult, but it was, it was also very good because for me, I, I love the school system here and, I, and I, I really enjoyed it compared to the Philippines at the time. There were lots of corporal punishment and, and uh, you know, uh, it, was, it was just strange. And, and as you know, Tyrone, like, you know, coming from that Asian background is that they're, they're very strict with study, study, study. And I kind of, I studied a bit too, but I also liked sports and I enjoyed hanging out with my friends. And um, that was not really rewarded well in, 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 in the Philippines education system. Whereas uh, here it kind of was. And, um, you know, I, I went from a child that didn't do so well in the Philippines to, to a child doing quite well here in Australia. So, so mum and dad were very happy with that. And... Um, and yeah, but but I ended up. I grew up in the north side of, of Brisbane, um, where I still am here today. Uh, Kedron Kedron uh, Primary Schools, where I studied at, and and I did high school there as well. Then moved up to Pine Rivers in the Moreton Bay region, and um, yeah, just outside of Brisbane. And uh, yeah, I've been I've been here ever since. But I've also travelled around Australia, which I'll I'll mention a bit a bit later. That sounds great. Do you remember roughly what age you came to Australia back from the Philippines? Yeah, so I was 10. I just turned 10 um, and I started grade five. In fact, um, uh, because of the, the, the way the education system, so from grade four to grade five, I did not get a break. I, um, I, I did not get a summer holiday, really. I only had about two weeks off when we moved here. Um, I, I studied pretty much grade four to grade five nonstop. 
Oh, gosh, that must have been really, really challenging. It was. So, Terry, it's really exciting to be out of here. You came back to Australia, um, you're going through the school system and obviously, you know, you, you've stayed around in the Queensland area. Did your parents ever think about coming back to Sydney because that's where you initially came from? Yeah, so that's where dad's from. So, he was uh, from Coogee uh, his entire life. So, was my grandfather um, and... and uh, he did, he did, but um, the reason, the only reason why we moved to, to to Brisbane was by that time, dad was based from, uh, he was doing the um, uh, the mining bork site. So when the ships, it was from Gladstone to Weeper, um, you know, doing bork site uh, and other minerals. So they were getting them from Gladstone, transporting them to Weeper and then, you know, elsewhere. But um that's the only reason why we moved to to Brisbane was because dad's work at the time. It was it was just more ideal for him to be based out of Brisbane. He worked for the Australian National Liners, and um, and yeah, they did a lot of the uh, the mine. They were basically mining vessels. So he was when we moved to Australia. Dad's work was now six weeks on, six weeks off. So you know we spent a lot of time with him, but um, that's the only reason why we did end up moving to to Brisbane and not Sydney. Did he continue to work all the way through and stay in Queensland because of that, or did he have to fly elsewhere into different types of states? He he stayed in Queensland, so he would fly to to Gladstone, and um and then you know they he would he would hop on the ship there, and then yeah that was it. So Gladstone was really the port the port of call for him. So what was it like? Because I've never had a parent, I guess, who was six weeks in, six weeks out. <laughs> did you notice the differences? It was great when he was around. Um, and when he wasn't, we did have Skype and, or nothing, but, but he would call like every night at a certain time. So we'd be on the phone to him all the time. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a very good childhood because he, when, when he was home, he was, he was really home. So, you know, he wasn't, wasn't bogged down with work or other things, but when he was away, um, you know, mum basically did, did everything as well. So she would come to the, the school days and all of that stuff and, and the school was understanding. They knew that dad was fly in, fly out, and, and you know, they, they, they understood. Were you the only sibling or did you have other, uh, the only child? I've got a younger brother as well. So he, he, was, he was a bit younger than me. So he was, um, uh, it, it would have been tough for him too. Um, but because he came here when, he moved here when he was three, turning four. Um, yeah, it was a, a little bit different. So with me, mum and me would, would speak in Filipino from time to time. Um, uh, yeah, but, but for him, it was very different. He, he really did grow up here. And have you been back to the Philippines since then? Yes, many times, many times. So, um, I, uh, again, uh, I've moved around also. So, so, uh, I did through my work. So, uh, you know, I've got 10 years of, of, um, working in, in the Queensland and South Australian governments really in, in marketing and, um, and international relations. So during that time, I moved around um, and I also, uh, when I was in South Australia, uh, I was flying to the Philippines maybe three, four times a year. Um, and we do go there a lot. And in fact, I'll, I'll talk about it pretty soon. My, my first foray into investing was a, was a property we still own in the Philippines. And, and uh, yeah, it's quite a bit of a story to that. That's fascinating. Do you have a lot of family still in the Philippines or have everyone moved to here? We do. My partner's she's from the Philippines too, so um, uh, my my aunties and that are still there. So uh, one of my cousins is here now. Um, yeah, they're, they're still all in the Philippines, so, so so that's why we enjoy going back there um, from time to time. 
So we do go try to go back every year. Yeah, which part of the Philippines? Well, well uh, I'm from Mindanao. It's in Sambuanga. It's down south. Lowback was always interested in studying importing and exporting and so after high school, he spent about 18 months at TAFE doing exactly this. It was at this stage that he had completed the equivalent of his first year of university, continuing on his degree of marketing and international business which would lead him into his career. Um, after high school, I, I got a job. So I went to university. So um, actually, I went to TAFE first. Um, I wasn't sure about what I, I wanted to always get into import and exporting. So that was that was what I wanted to do. Um, I did it through TAFE. So I did a year at TAFE about uh, actually I did 18 months at TAFE. But then I decided to go to university. There was no option for me. I, I needed to go to uni. So I did marketing and international business at university. So I did a year and a half at TAFE, got into second year of university. Um, and after that, I, I enjoyed uni a lot. So I, I stayed on to do, a, to do a master's right afterwards. So I was very lucky that uh, halfway through the master's, I got an internship with the Queensland government. And, um, and yeah, I, I started work there with the Department of Natural Resources and Mines um, as a project officer in their international relations unit. And, um, and, uh, and then from that, I, I was with a, an advisor with uh, Transport and Main Roads, again, in their international, well, international trade relations unit. Um, so I stayed there for quite a while. Um, I was the acting manager there for a long time. And, um, and then I got into um, the Department of Education. You've been around the government sector for quite some time. Yeah. And after that, so I, I decided, I thought I was still quite young then. I was about um, 20, 27, I think. And um, I wanted a, um, I looked at getting a, I wanted to do a regional stint. So there was an opportunity that came about at, um, at Central Queensland University. So I took it and um, I was in charge of their international marketing uh, in Rockhampton, CQU. And uh, yeah, so I had uh, the, 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 the change of branding. Um, my position was created for that change of branding. So I, I did a lot of that changing from CQU to CQ University. I do remember seeing that. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, the be, be what you can be and all of that. Um, so uh, yeah, I, 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 I did that. So uh, as part of my role and um, that was fantastic. Rockhampton was, was a terrific place and uh, the team there was, was also great. Uh, I can't say enough good things about them. Um, I moved after that to Adelaide, and um, because I got a, I got a job as the the marketing manager for their um, for TAFE SA, so their international unit. What did you actually study at university? I did I did international business and marketing. Ah, okay, that makes sense. That's why I love Adelaide. I love the the, the South Australian government. Um, I, I did a lot during during my time there, and and also started to look into the to the regional areas too, which which is a big part of my strategy today because I, I did travel to a number of regions there and, um, and I saw firsthand. And um, yeah, uh, and then I, I had to move back, unfortunately moved back to, to, well, it's not unfortunate that I moved back, but the circumstances why I moved back were quite unfortunate. You know, my, uh, my father was uh, about six years ago, he was in palliative care. So that was part of the reason why I moved back. And um, it, was, it was a difficult time, but you know, dad had a good run and... Um, Coming up after the break, we learn more about Lowback's first investment property 
and I did every mistake in the book. You know, I, I bought off the plan. It was at a, a new development and um, I didn't really read the fine print of the contract and, uh, you know, all of these other things. And, um, and, you know, these are mistakes that a lot of investors do and, and they do them every day. How he managed to grow his portfolio to 15 properties? It becomes quite addictive and you you, you see that, you, you know, you, you get one, you get another one and you, 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 you keep multiplying and... Um, and uh, the, the COVID time has been quite good for us. We hear about the property with so much potential that Lowback still regrets purchasing. It's, it's the holding costs and it's, it's the fact that I'm not using it for anything. And that's something that as an investor, you, you have to really say, well, look, if you've got an asset that's not performing, do, do you want to get rid of it? Or and that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. During his time in Adelaide, Lobach was separated from his mum and dad. I would fly in um, a couple of times a year at that time because, uh, you know, my son at that time, I, I had a, a divorce with, with my first wife and um, they'd moved back to Queensland and um, I was also visiting my son at the time. So um, I, I did always come back here. Yeah, okay. It's, it's, it's yeah, very, very... Um, I guess interesting that you've had a lot of experience in different states as well because I assume SA and Queensland are a completely different type of lifestyles as well. How long were you in SA for? I was in SA all up about uh, three and a half years. It was about eight years ago when living in South Australia that Lobak purchased his first investment property in the Philippines. However, as many investors can recall, this first purchase taught him what not to do in the future. Me and my partner, um, you know, we've been together 10 years and, and um, she, uh, uh, there was an opportunity for a, um, a property. There was property being developed uh, in Davao, and um, the homes were quite nice. And I was able to to buy one quite cheaply. And and it, this was, um, you know, I was on on quite a good salary at the time. So I thought, yep, yeah, let's buy that. Um, and that was, this was my first foray into it about eight years ago. And um, and I did every mistake in the book, you know, I, I bought off the plan, it was at a, a new development and um, I didn't really read the fine print of the contract and, uh, you know, all of these other things. And, um, and you know, these are mistakes that a lot of investors do and, and they do them every day. Um, and uh, so although I got it quite cheaply, that the building, it took them so long to build, you know, they went three years over schedule. Um, you know, and there's a lot of red tape in the Philippines. How long? How long was this actually scheduled for actually um, completion? How long was the development? <laughs> Twelve months. So, how did you end up in the Philippines back here? Because this was your first property that you purchased in Davao. She comes from a. Um, uh, they're quite a well-to-do family, um, and in the Philippines, it is it is like that. Unfortunately, you know you family ties are important and it's a very much a class society. So she's she's from a well-to-do family and um, and her parents, well, particularly her grandparents and, and her mum are, um, uh, they're property investors, you know, they're, they're long-time landowners and, 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 and things like that. So, you know, this, this came about and, um, and she said, look, this might be a good investment and I didn't really look at it as an investment and, and this is the thing is that I just bought it for the sake of just bought it. There was no, no other reason. Um, and it wasn't really looked at as an investment. It was just something that, oh, all right, well, we 
my, we go back to Davao all the time. We got family here and, and, you know, it's a nice place. We like to spend time here, you know, that sort of thing. More like a lifestyle property where, you know, you can go in, you've got your own place in the Philippines. You don't have to worry about looking for accommodation. You see family all the time. It was very much like that. And um, the thing is, there's just a lot of red tape. So initially I didn't put all the money down. So I, I was making some payments onto it. It wasn't much. It was only about 10000 that that was still needed to be paid off. But the interest rates were huge. It was like, um, you know, almost 20%. So, and I thought, no, this can't be. So I, I paid that off, you know, quick smart. And um, yeah, and it, it was just, there was just a lot of mistakes with it. But, you know, say, I'm, I'm glad to say that now um, it's made at least four to five times what, what we paid. And um, it's, it's, it's been a, a good investment in that only because, you know, Philippines, there's 100 million people. Um, land is scarce. And, uh, and, and, you know, premium houses like that are, are also very um, attractive to a lot of the expat Filipinos that do want to do purchase homes. So you mentioned there was about 10,000 Australian dollars. Was that right back then? Equivalent to... I didn't pay much for it. You know, it's... In fact, it's made more. So really, I, I would have paid... I'm trying to calculate the exchange rates i probably paid about 36,000 oh okay yep so that would have been roughly about divided by 32 is about 10 oh no it'd be about a thousand something dollars uh no uh i i paid 32,000 australian dollars or 36,000 australian dollars for oh australian dollars okay okay yeah so it's now worth last we check it's worth uh, about 4.5 to 5 million pesos. Ah, okay. That's <laughs> substantial. Yeah. Yeah. So it's made quite a lot. And in fact, we were offered about four and a half million for it um, from a real estate agent. And we said, no, we're not, we're not keen on selling. Okay. So you've kept that obviously for you to go back in. And so is it rented out at the moment or you just. We're, we're tossing up to whether we do that or not. Um, uh, we might we might put it into Airbnb. It's in quite an attractive location, um, but at the moment we again it's it's this is not really part of my strategy is to have non-performing assets. But um, it's just one of those things where it's it's the cost of keeping it is is quite low. So you know we don't have really the rates or anything like that that, that I do here as far as holding cost. Um, so we don't mind um, because the holding costs are quite low. With over a dozen properties scattered over several states in Australia and in the Philippines, Lobak attributes his large portfolio to prioritising cash flow. So the majority are based in in South Australia. So, um, you know, uh, Adelaide, um, uh, Wyala, I like a lot, uh, Port Augusta, and and those are the three three areas there that that we we have. Um, uh, we also have some in in we got four in New South Wales. Um, and, and a couple here in, in you know, one in Brisbane and another one in, in, in Queensland, you know. Um, so I, I do, as part of the strategy, I do, I, I in the, the stage of life where, where, where I'm in or me and my partner are in, for us, it, uh, cash flow was very important for us. So really we wanted something that could replace our incomes um, or, or at least replace an income. And, and, and we, we've done that. And, and, um, and, and you know, the, the thing is it, be, it becomes like a, it becomes quite addictive and you you, you see that you you know you, you get one you get another one and you 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 keep multiplying and um and uh the the covid time has been 
quite good for us. It's it's been really good, and um, like for example, um, uh, there was a property there in in Port Augusta which I got for, jeez, uh, this it it would be like forty percent of the market value. The the guy just wanted to sell, and and you, you know, and um, and it's been I had it revalued, and and yep, it was it was forty percent of what that what a um, I, what I paid for the um, was forty percent of what the actual valuation is now of that of that property, and this is I'm just talking about three months ago. So, you, you know, um, and and it's a very it's it's a cash cow. It, it's it's a duplex that um, that uh, you know gives out a lot. Lowback's highly successful property investing journey began eight years ago after he was given the opportunity to purchase his family home. He didn't initially have any thoughts of going down the investing path but recalls doing it so by accident. Mum wanted to retire. Um, so I was, I was given the opportunity to purchase um, the, the family home. Uh, was that in Queensland? or In Brisbane. So here in Brisbane and um, and that's my principal place of residence today. Um, so I was given that opportunity and, I, and I, I bought it off mum. It allowed her to retire. She's now moved to Bribey Island. Um, you, you know, it's a, about 50 k's away. It's a nice, very nice place. Um, so she's quite happy there and uh, it was a win-win situation for both of us. And um, yeah, so even when I purchased that, it really, it didn't really start me off. So I had these two properties, but I never thought that property investment would be something that I would do. As I mentioned, I do martial arts and, and I'm researching a book that I'm, I'm, I'm writing uh, on, on the martial arts style that I do. And um, one of the, the past masters was a, um, was a landowner. So, um, and, and you know, in the Philippines, you with with my uh, my partner's family and all of that, they're all the same. So, so I was look, I saw this land that was just oh, eighty k's, like it was less than an hour outside of Adelaide, and um, and uh, you know, he wanted a specific amount for it, like a, um, but I I thought I'll lowball the offer. So I thought I'd lowball, like absolute lowball, um, to the point where I was expecting him to say, you know. Some, some bad words yeah tell me to go away and um to my surprise um he accepted he said yep yeah you must be needing the money that, that's it. exactly so um i thought well this is all right so um now i had a big problem then i, I wasn't working so the period of time where i wasn't working i thought geez what, what am i going to do um I, I, so i thank thank goodness for south australia and i love the state is because for property investors you you um they don't have a ten percent uh, minimum uh, uh, deposit. So, so here I am. I bought this property and I, I put a deposit of two hundred dollars down. Oh, that is phenomenal! <laughs> and then I said, "Look, um, you know, this is all good. Um, I want a, a sixty-day uh, settlement. So, you know, I wanted." And they said, "Yep, that's fine. He's got to move some stuff out, so no problem." So I thought, "Oh, all right. So now, now I've got to find work and uh, and see how I can pay for this thing." So. It, 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 and I did a lot. So I, uh, you know, with my contacts, I was able to get, get work pretty quickly and, um, and, and, and that was good. But now I thought, oh, this is a great property. They can't be, why is he selling it this cheap? And, um, and it was because he bought it years ago and he paid, he didn't really pay much for it. Although, you know, it, grown, it, it, it had risen phenomenally. And, um, and I thought, look, I'm going to call the council. So I called Mid Murray council there and, um, and I asked them, I said, look, can, can I subdivide this? I've got 200 acres. Can I subdivide? And they said, yes, you can. So um, 
he said, you can, you can subdivide it to other acreage. And I thought, bloody hell, you know, I can sell just one lot and recoup my money. So, um, so another thing is, 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 you know, it, I, I did that and I got really worried. So I kept calling the conveyancer saying, can he back out of this deal? You know, how can I keep him on? You know, I've got the money now and how can I keep him on? And she said, well, he's not going to back out. Generally they won't. And, uh, he'd probably be more fearful of you backing out. And I said, oh, so she was asking me why. And I said, well, look, I've got this information and I've spoken to, to counsel and she's like, oh, don't worry so much. And, um, you know, the deal went, went all right. And, and, you know, he was a, he was a retiree that just, you know, he was at that stage of life where again, it was a win-win, although I got a big win. I think he also, he got what he wanted and he used the land for what he needed. Um, you know, and it's funny because, it's two, we got it's 200 acres that we got there um a neighboring property that was twice the size was recently listed for 2.5 mil and and the the neighbor another guy he's got four acres um he recently sold his for 150,000 you know and, and I paid for mine less than 100k so it's been a massive massive win for us and and this is the thing is like what i what i do also like uh because of of my role with picker and we're not for profit we're investors for investors um i i tell people look don't uh, overlook land investing also you know like it's 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 something that is done in america a lot but here in australia you know they they land bank but but they don't they don't really we don't really do it like how they do it over there and i think you're missing out um I mean, yes, there is the holding costs and all of that, and it's not producing any any money unless you do something with it. But you know, you can you can come up with some great deals and some great wins by by looking outside the box, maybe you know, offering someone something that it, you know, seeing an opportunity. This land investment was not the only deal Lowback closed whilst not having a job. By thinking outside the box, he snatched up another property for close to nothing. I bought two at about the same time, like. Two in similar time, so again, I did that without work. So <laughs> you know, and then uh, and then it, it was reverse engineering almost. But um, yeah, so I bought another block of land. Um, uh, you know, in 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 a, play, a town called Saint George, which I also got really for nothing. And um, and again, that that we like that too. That was more my my for my partner. Though. She wanted that. Um, you know, so we were happy with that. That um, is not producing so much. In fact, that's uh, that one is um, what I would call as one of my uh, <laughs> the properties that I don't really want to talk about. Lowback discovered that even when a property looks like a good investment, if it's not making any money, then it probably isn't worth keeping. This was the property that cemented Lowback's number one strategy of cash flow. She saw the price that was pretty good. I mean, we we got it cheaply, and and it's worth a lot more, and it's something that we just want to keep for a bit. But um, uh, there's not much you can do with it. Like you can subdivide it and all of that. But uh, in some of these areas, it's it's not not a good idea. So it was good that I bought that because it it, it taught me a lot. So um, you know, sometimes you 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 make mistakes through through purchases, and um, and and like I said, it's not a mistake if you can wear it. And for this, it's it's neither here nor there for us, and it's just an asset that we that we have and um, yeah. What were some of the factors that didn't make it an outstanding asset? It's prime land in, in a, it's a regional town. So it was still prime land. Um, 
it's four blocks, like, you know, four blocks. I paid next to nothing. But again, it's, it's, it's the holding costs and it's, it's the fact that I'm not using it for anything. And that's something that as an investor, you, you have to really say, well, look, if you've got an asset that's not performing, do you, do you want to get rid of it or, 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 or do you want to keep it? And if you're keeping it, what are your reasons for keeping it? Yeah. So it's more about lost opportunity cost, I guess you can say, because potentially, as you said, if it's not performing and there's not generating any revenue, then you could potentially invest it into something else. Exactly. So, you know, the opportunity cost for that is is that I, I could have, and this is what I've told my partner before, is that, hey, we could use that to 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 get a property in in a similar area that, that would be generating us 14%, you know? So that's the thing, that, that would pay itself off. Yeah, and, you know, give, you know then you, you pocket about, you know, 8,000 or so a year out of just that one property. So um, that it is that opportunity cost, but... Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's you can't be right all the time. If you're right all the time, geez, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd have 100 properties by now. You know, you know what I mean? Like, that's the thing. So, inspired by Terry Loback's journey, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory. We'll discuss the value of his portfolio. After all cost and everything, we're probably, we're making, this is after paying, you know, the rates and, and all of that. It's making us probably about, um, it, it's it's over 100 a year, but with, if you take off some of the other the other costs, it's, it's cash flow positive, like in the hand, about 70K. What his aha moment was? I bought two of them. So I bought them in in a in a in regional New South Wales. Uh, um, you know, it was a town of, of you know close to twenty thousand people. And and it, and this is the thing is is for me the aha moment was was I guess not listening to naysayers. Hear about what he wants to achieve on his property investing journey. I wanted to, you know, have the option of of having money there, passive income there that was coming through, and and. It, you know, start enjoying the, the, the nicer things in life without the stress of... And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, Visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.